Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to the Cobras and Fire Podcast, part of the Decibel Geek Podcast Network, featuring special guests from Ozzy, from Badlands, and Red Dragon Cartel, guitarist Jake E. Lee. to welcome to the program uh, from Red Dragon uh, Cartel, guitarist Jakey Lee. Uh, Jakey, you have a new record out. I, I just saw tour dates for next year kind of coming in. Uh, do you have any plans for Thanksgiving? <laughs> wow. Uh, we were just talking about that. Um, yeah, we're just letting it be known to all our friends that we don't cook. And, uh, <laughs> you know, we're available. <laughs> we're available. But, uh, yeah, we'll figure something out. Yeah, no, right. no plans. I want to just kind of kickstart a little bit with Ozzy, and hopefully I'm not hitting stuff that's just too redundant with you, because I know you get hit with it a lot. But uh, w- when you got the the gig, it was, you know, that transition from Randy Rhodes and everything that happened there, it was down to, to you and George Lynch, was is my understanding. What was that the actual tryout like? I mean, was it literally a situation where you're walking in and he's walking out? or? Yeah, yeah, it was. Um, well, George had been out uh, with him for, I don't know, a week or two, I think. Um while Brad was still playing guitar, and George came out and he would do uh, the sound checks and shit like that. And, uh, yeah, uh, my understanding was George was supposed to be the first guitarist in uh, Blizzard of Oz um, before Randy. Oh, really? 
Yeah, I heard uh, from several people um, that uh, George was offered the gig, but Dawkin had just gotten signed in uh, Germany, and George thought that that was a better uh, better choice to make at that time, especially because Ozzy was a mess, you know, um, <laughs> in between Sabbath and, well, I was going to say in between Sabbath and the Blizzard of Oz, but pretty much during Blizzard of Oz also. He was just a mess, and nobody really thought he was going to make anything of himself. So George turned the gig down, and then it went to Randy. So when Ozzy was looking for a new guitar player, uh, immediately he went to George again. And like I said, he uh, he went on tour, did sound checks, but apparently um, Ozzy just wasn't 100% on him. Okay. And uh, he had me audition at... Uh, SIR Studios, I came down, played. Uh, after I played, I, I, you know, I messed the songs up. It's not like I played shitty or anything, but I wasn't that familiar with the songs. I had to do a Crazy Train and I Don't Know. And if you're a guitarist, you know that you could, you could yeah. change, interchange the parts. You could put this part of the song into the other song and it all makes sense. And that's kind of what I was doing because I just <laughs> learned the songs. So so I was sure that I, you know, okay, I, I don't even know the songs. Why why would he hire me? And I was packing my gear up when uh, Ozzy, uh, Ozzy and Sharon walked up to me. And at the same time, George was walking in the door. And Ozzy looked at me and he said, do you want it? And I was like, do what? He says, do you want the fucking gig? (laughs) Yes, I do. He says, you've got it. And George had just walked up at that moment and he turned to George and said, it's his, you've lost it. And then he walked away. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, that was, uh, I was in the band for maybe 30 seconds before I saw Ozzy fire somebody. (laughs) And, and it's, uh, it's never pretty. Okay, uh, <laughs> what were what were you doing out at the time? Like, what were you this? You were out of Rat by this point, correct? Yeah. Were, were you was, without uh, a band at the at the moment, or? No, I had nothing. I was, I it's it's ironic because I yeah I I've been out of Rat and I had joined Rough Cut and then I I quit Rough Cut and I was even uh, with Dio for about six weeks or so and then I got fired from that and uh, <laughs> at that point I I was uh, pretty discouraged I I was um, I couldn't find a band I wanted to play with uh, I didn't know any musicians I wanted to play with uh, and uh, I was 25 and in the back of my mind I always thought that if you can't get something going by the time you're 25, then you're probably never going to get anything going. And uh, I got that. I got the Aussie gig. Let me see. One, two, two months before I turned 26. Okay. So you, 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 so, you covered it. Yeah, I just I got in there just <laughs> just in the nick of time. But uh, no, I had absolutely nothing going, and I wasn't sure what I was going to do after that. And then uh, and then that dropped in my lap. I got to know, why did you get fired from Dio? I think 
that he was looking for more of a, a European okay. sort of sound. Because um, he, he, back then, and maybe to this day, I don't know, uh, there's heavy metal, you had the American version, you had the European version. And uh, American version uh, relied a lot on Van Halen. Mm-hmm. That was kind of the American metal sound. And um, I'm, I am more of that school of Eddie Van Halen, Southern California, you know, there was a bunch of us, and uh, I was more of that, maybe a little busier on my rhythm stuff sure. than Dio would have liked, and uh, I, I think that was the main reason. Fair enough. Uh, you know, I, you touched on something that I definitely wanted to mention you. It's not a question. It's I remember I told you, I, you you're going to might get an ego boost a couple times here. Uh, I, I I think you're a phenomenal guitar player. You were you were one of the big influences on me. You know, during the '80s, you know, as a 15 year old in my bedroom, uh, you know, playing guitar. Uh, and but I, I really think your rhythms are really creative and inventive, and and it's like. They're very challenging to play for one, but they they also sound really good. You know, they have a musical quality to them. They're not just like an exercise of of stretching. They're 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 very I don't know fundamental for writing a song. So if I'm saying that well at all, I don't think uh, too many people of that era really were of your level on that. Maybe Eddie Van Halen. Yeah, Eddie was. Ed, um, no, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. I appreciate the fact that. You recognize that because I spend a lot of time on on my rhythm parts. You know, I'll uh, you know you get you know there's a basic chord progression, and then I find out where on the fretboard what inversion of the chord seems to fit the song the best, and then I put stuff on top of that chord a lot of times to make it an interesting chord, and then to get from one chord to the next, I like to have maybe an underlying melody within the chord structures so i uh yeah i'm getting too detailed not at all i spend a lot of time a lot more time on my rhythms than i do on my solos um and i always thought that was the uh, uh the best part of my playing and i do think that there wasn't a lot of uh, other guys doing that uh, particularly in the 80s mm-hmm. um you know it's all about the guitar hero and uh, you didn't become a guitar hero for your rhythm playing. <laughs> you know, it's all about the solos. And um, no, I, I do take a certain amount of pride in that. Uh, my rhythm work, I think, is uh, uh, well, at least thought out. I knew early on that I was never going to be able to play any any most of the solos you ever did. But I'm, if I tried really hard, I may be able to pull off "Rock and Roll Rebel." <laughs>
about a, a pinky stretcher. But anyway, now now we're getting too geeked out. You come on to Bark at the Moon. It's well established that you didn't get any songwriting credit. I have a question on that from a business standpoint. How does that work? Was it just like, were you just kind of like, did you sign a contract that said you were kind of hired to do a job almost like, um, and it was part of that deal that you didn't get any um, songwriting credit? Going into the album, I asked, and uh, I was told that I would get Naturally, I would get songwriting credit for anything I wrote, and I would get my fair share of publishing, and uh, and it was a given. Everything was going to be cool. Um, Bob Daisley was back in the band uh, for Bark at the Moon, and I thought because he had a lot of problems with them after the first two records, yeah, I thought it was a good sign that he was back in for Bark at the Moon that. You know, there wasn't going to be that that whole mess again. Um, so I took I took them at their word uh, that I would get a fair contract. And during the recording, I I occasionally bring it up and I say, uh, "Is that contract ready?" And they say, "No, no, but it's almost there. Don't worry about it. Okay. Everything's cool." Uh, once I finished the final guitar track on the record. Then magically the contract appears, and it <laughs> said, "I wrote nothing. Um, I, I signing this contract means you can never say that you had anything to do with the okay. writing." Blah 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 blah. Um, and I was, you know, I I said, "I I don't like. That. I'm not signing this. This is not what you promised." And Sharon told me that, uh, well, you know, they'll fly me back home. And they'll get another guitar player to replace my tracks now that they're all finished. And I can stand in line and sue them, um, which didn't seem like a good option. Um, you sure. know, I, I, I wasn't smart in that I didn't get the contract first. But not signing that contract then meant that I was going to be the asshole that is in Ozzy Osbourne for a minute and then sues him. You know, it, it, there's no way I would have looked good coming out of that, um, especially back then, you know, because mm -hmm. you didn't have the Internet. You couldn't, uh, uh, you couldn't put information out there, like your side of the story, unless a magazine was interested in printing it. And uh, They'd probably more, be more interested in Ozzy than you at that, at that moment, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't have gotten my side in. And if I did, I would have looked like an asshole. So I, I had to sign the contract. I didn't like it. And I didn't really even adhere to it as far as... Uh, I think the first interview I did after that, <laughs> they, said, they said, so Ozzy wrote all the songs. I said, no, he didn't. <laughs> so I broke the contract right off the bat. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was... Uh, I made sure for Ultimate Sin that yeah, I didn't... Okay. I didn't do a thing before I had a contract. In that, front that's of me, where I was but, going uh, next. And, and you wrote most of that music while he was in the Betty Ford, Ford Clinic. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. I had nothing else to do, um, so hey, I bought one of those high-tech, fancy four-track cassette recorders. Ooh, <laughs> was it a Tascam? It was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that was, uh, you know, that was the height of technology at the time. Uh, I remember and my first Tascam. <laughs> I just spent my time uh, writing songs while he was, uh, quote, getting yeah. <laughs> you know, clean, unquote. Um, uh. So, yeah. 
Yeah, hey, I, wrote, I wrote most of the music for both albums. Yeah, you know? you're a you're a young man at this time. What's Ozzy like wasted, and and how did you like? Would you? What is it? Was it fun because you would like want to party too, or was it like, ah, dear God, is he knocking on my you know hotel room door at three in the morning again? Or <laughs> yeah, it was. Um, <laughs> you know, it was fun to party when Molly Crew was opening. Okay, because. Uh, because they were my buds. I knew them from L.A. And so that was a lot of fun. It was never fun to party with Ozzy. Because um, <laughs> Ozzy, Ozzy, when he's sober, is a sweet, funny guy. He's like one of the funniest guys I've ever met. He's just, he's just fun to be around when he's sober. And he is for a little bit, just a tiny bit of, t- of a window there where he starts drinking and he's still fun. Um... And then he just, and then he, uh, and then a switch goes off, and he just, he is not fun. He's not fun. He's me. He turns mean, and and just ugly. And and uh, if anything, seeing that made me cut back on uh, the amount of partying I did. Okay. And uh, yeah, yeah, it was it was never fun to party with Ozzy. <laughs> and there was times where he would knock on my door. It'd be like three or four in the morning. And in, uh, in the hotel, and nice. I'd be sleeping, and I'd wake up because he would not quit knocking until I opened the door, and he'd come in. He says, "I've got this idea for a song." I'm like, oh, "Okay, let me get my guitar." And then, and then this literally, to me at least, this is what it sounded like. Okay, play this. I'm like, "Holy shit!" Can you hum that again? And. <laughs> so I I hit something on the guitar, anything like this, and he get all pissed off. He no, listen to me. <laughs> uh, uh. <laughs> I'd sit there trying, and oh god, I wish I. After about the third time it happened, I turned my uh, tape recorder on so I could record all of it, <laughs> and, and I played it back for him the next day. And he just looked at me and said, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> he said, I'm sorry. It, it'll never happen again. And and thank God it didn't. But, oh, I wish I knew where that tape was. Oh, I was going to say, <laughs> tell me you still got that. But uh, <laughs> no. it, Enough time has passed. We can all laugh at it, right? Yeah. Um, well, you know, uh, when you uh, one of the things, uh, getting back to your rhythm playing, um, and by the way, thank you for sharing that wonderful story. I'm glad I, I brought that up. Uh uh, on the ultimate sin, thank God for the bomb. You do that kind of like almost manual delay at the beginning. You kind of do like a, a like a almost a hammer on slide. It's it's not enough. Uh, it's not an effect pedal, is it? No. Uh, well, I would in the beginning. Man, it's been a long time since I've listened. Bam, 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 bam. That help? Is that better than Ozzy? Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I can't really recall, but I did do a a, a slide fake echo kind of a yeah. thing. Um, and um, yeah, I think eventually people started calling it the fakey, uh, or at least in Japan they called it the fakey. Oh, the fakey, um, or the Jake fake. Um, but uh, yeah, it's. Uh, I don't even remember how how I came up with that, uh, but I love trying to do stuff uh, 
that manually that uh, it that would normally be done another way. You know, the whole mm-hmm. uh, detuning uh, tuning peg thing, which oh, which I just read last night that uh, Roy Clark died, which made me very sad. He was an awesome guitar oh, player. Oh, incredible. Uh, and he was uh, he was the guy that inspired me to do the whole uh, tuning peg detuning thing because I saw yeah. him. I used to watch him on Hee Haw because yeah. his playing was incredible. And I remember at the end of one song, he he hit the hit the note, and they reached over to the tuning peg and went like that. And that just blew my mind. I was like maybe thirteen at the time, <laughs> and that inspired all the. Uh, you know, ridiculousness I used to do with that. But it, it came from him. It came from Roy Clark, and uh, and I don't remember what the question was anymore. But, oh, it was about, yeah. So I, I didn't need a, yeah, I didn't need a, a whammy bar to, to make those kinds of sounds. And uh, and same with... Um, oh, that's right, yeah. You were really big about finding different ways to bend. Yeah, and and... And I don't know why. I don't know why I got uh, all caught up in that. But yeah, I'd like to try to emulate an echo uh, by using my hands mm-hmm. and uh, flanging. Sometimes I would just pick and then go up and down the length of the string to give it a slight flanging effect. I it just it was just really fun for me to try to figure out different ways of, of doing things. And the cool thing is that you found ways to incorporate it into like a rhythm of on a song. That was like fun to listen to for for the any. You didn't have to be a guitar nerd to enjoy hearing it. You know what I mean? I remember I was uh, online and I was on. Uh, there was some blog going on. It was a guitar guitar technique blog, and and uh, somebody said, "Well, it was just incredible that Jake could do the fake echo thing and sound like he has a a bar." And then some some troll came in and he said, none of that matters. It doesn't matter that he did it that way. What's the difference? It's just the solo that matters. And uh, I didn't, I didn't respond because, because in theory he is right. Uh, it's just kind of the note selection and the sure. phrasing that makes a solo. But, but fuck the fact him. that it was, it was a guitar <laughs> technique blog, you okay. know? Yeah, all right. And so, yeah, yeah more. they fuck were him. talking about the technique, and then he throws it back to, it's just the notes that matters. And according to him, then, you don't even have to play guitar. You just get a guitar emulation software, and yeah. you can come up with your own solos and, and not ever have picked a guitar up. So, fuck that guy. <laughs> exactly. Fuck him, man. Uh, oh my lord! I, it's not. It's not looking. The future's not looking bright. But um, you know, I, again, you 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 talked. There was no internet around at the time and all that stuff. I until recently. I don't. By recent, I mean like in the last decade. I was always under the impression that um, you left Ozzy to kind of do. You wanted to do your own thing, but you were actually fired, right? Oh, I was fired. Yes. I mean, what was uh, was there was there signs of animosity? Were did were you happy in Ozzy's band at the time? Yeah, yeah, I was I was happy and I was um well I was reasonably happy. Uh, I do think part of the reason I was fired was uh, after two albums. Uh, there's a strict set of parameters that that you have to write for Ozzy, and it's it's basically you know, 
heavy metal. Mm-hmm. Um, but I grew up listening to all kinds of music. My dad was a big jazz fanatic. He had a he had the biggest jazz collection in San Diego, and uh, so I heard a lot of jazz growing up. And I loved all kinds of music, funk. I was um, I was in a funk band at one time. I was in a fusion band at one time. So I I love all kinds of music. And with Ozzy, after four years of writing strictly uh, metal songs and metal within a certain you know uh, uh, bandwidth that I had to write, I was trying to open it up a little bit. And I would give Ozzy song ideas, and uh, he wasn't liking. You know, there were mm. some that he liked, but there were some he he definitely didn't like. Okay. He would tell me, you know, it's it's we're not Frank Zappa. This is Ozzy Osbourne. Write a fucking Ozzy Osbourne song. So that there was probably that had something to do with it. I know that at that time, Phil Susan, and I know this because Randy Castillo, the drummer, told me afterwards. He said that Phil was in in Ozzy's ear day in and day out about how uh, they didn't need me. That hmm. that the biggest song, uh, the biggest single Ozzy's ever had was "Shot in the Dark," which Phil wrote, and he said, "We don't need Jake. I can be the main songwriter," and uh, so that might have had something to do with it too. Yeah, but Phil was um, gone shortly after that, so I don't know that Ozzy liked him too much. No, no, and it, that was the stupidest thing Phil could have ever done because on tour twice Ozzy wanted fire Phil. Uh, for certain things that he did on stage. And, and I think Ozzy just didn't like Phil that much. Twice he wanted to fire him, and twice I talked him out of it. So, yeah, I'm, <laughs> I had to laugh when, after I was out of the band, after Phil helped get me out of the band, <laughs> that he only lasted like a month. In Ozzy's book, uh, I'm a big rock biography guy. If you ever write one, I'll, you, I'll definitely buy it. But uh, you get, you're, you're like a footnote almost. It like, goes like, He's doing it with Randy Rhodes. Basically, in the book, you, I mean, you're barely in it, and then it's on to uh, um, uh, Zach Wild. Do you have any idea why he would just leapfrogged over you? Was there like some kind of legal stipulation that he couldn't talk about you at all? <laughs> no, I don't. No, I don't think it was that. I I do think that um, uh, Ozzy and I, uh, and I I can only assume in the in the book you're talking about that most of the. Uh, uh, what he's taught, what he mentions about other players is is more on a personal level and yes. less maybe on a musical one. Ozzy and I never clicked. We I we got along. Um, uh, okay. There was there was not really any arguing or or you know bad blood, but we just never really clicked. Uh, I try hanging out with him occasionally, and. It all—it was just always awkward, you know. I—I I don't know why. Uh, some people you just don't click with, and we never had that. Um, you know, he—I would make jokes. Uh, my sense of humor is maybe a little drier than his, and I would make a joke, and he just blankly stare at me like, <laughs> "Why did I just say that?" <laughs> so it—it it was, it was a little bit awkward, really. And um, that's a, this is actually and, a very good answer, Jake. Yeah. <laughs> But he, um, you know, uh, yeah, and and I think, and that probably was another part of why I got fired. He was probably looking for somebody um, that, on a personal level, 
he could uh, get along with uh, a lot better and maybe have him make some sandwiches for him. You know? <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't say that in a mean way. It's just I've read that several times where Zach says that he's in charge of making sandwiches for Ozzy. Yeah, so, yeah no. Zach's a really, really <laughs> laid-back dude, too. Zach's really cool. Yeah. I mean, I've only met him once, and that was right after he joined Ozzy, and... Uh, and but he he seemed like a really cool guy and he's always been really kind to me in interviews so uh thank you Zach all right how many times have you been approached about uh coming back to Ozzy really just uh there's the one time um there there might have been another one in the um mid 90s uh and and like I it wasn't an offer but out of the blue, um, Sharon Osborne called me and uh, said that we should have lunch. And my daughter and her daughters were friends growing up. And she said they, you know, they'd love to see Jade. Uh, okay. So why don't you come over to the to to the hotel? So I came over, and um, my daughter's name talked. is Jade. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, anyway, well, carry on. I, I'm pretty sure mine was there first. Uh, so. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah. I'm a... <laughs> okay, but you can share Jade's song with your daughter. Yeah, I... okay, well. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay with me. Um, uh... But anyway, yeah, it was it was kind of odd that she invited me over, and we talked, uh, but there was, there was never no offer. I don't know if there was... Um... Anyway, I don't even know why I brought that up. Anyway, yeah, the only time that... Uh, there was a clear offer was uh i don't know 2008 something like that oh really yeah when she um she called me she managed because i was in full hibernation mode right that's <laughs> why i was kind of shocked i'm like that was like you know me scouring the internet to see if anybody knows anything about what you're doing <sighs> yeah and i there was maybe a handful of friends that had my number yeah so i was pretty surprised when uh she did call me and um yeah, she just, uh, she said that, um, Zach was drinking a lot and, uh, that she didn't really want that around Ozzy and would I be interested in doing some festivals with them and with the possibility of doing the next record with them. And, and, uh, I said, yeah, why not? I'm not doing anything. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I said, I would like to clear up the one thing that still kind of gnaws at me and I said oh, I would like songwriting credit for the Bark of the Moon album and and I was very specific in that I said I don't want any money I can sign a contract that I don't retroactively get any kind of money and that I don't make any money in the future off of this I just want my name on it and uh, was it like a and, click uh, uh, like a hard slam or <laughs> yeah, I I mean, yeah, I just I just want my name on it. I don't no. want to make a penny off of it. And and I you, said if we you can deserve clear both, that by up, the way. Pardon? You deserve both the money and the credit, but I I get where you're coming from and I Yeah, cuz I learned to live with the fact that, you know, uh I won't make any money off it and um uh, yeah, I'm good with that. I'm I'm not Yeah, and it did it did not a money hungry guy. Sure, and it, um, your career did get a boost from being in him in the band. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh given a choice, I would have made the same choice again. Yeah. Um but uh anyway, I said if we can if we can just get that one little thing out of the way, then I'm open for discussions. And she said, "Okay, let me call you back tomorrow." 
She didn't, so I, I took that as a no. Okay. <laughs> yeah, with Badlands, did you were were was Eric Singer and Ray Gillen still in in Black Sabbath when you started it? No, no, they were out. Okay. Um, How did they come did, as a package? Did you did you pick one and then the other, or did one bring the other with? Uh, Ray brought Eric with him because okay. um, uh, initially Ray got a hold of uh, Ray got a hold of me. <clears throat> And uh, said he wanted to get something going. I'd never heard him before that, uh, so I yeah I said yeah we'll get together. We need to uh, uh, need to get a band, and uh, uh, so he knew Eric, and uh, we got together at a rehearsal place. It's me, Eric Ray, and um, oh, is it Greg Chasen they, still? Or... No, no, no. Greg came in later. Okay. Uh, it was. Um, I d- did Black Sabbath have a bass player when Ray and, and Eric were? Yeah, it was in? Dan Spitz or Dave Dave Spitz. Dave Spitz, uh, the Beast or yes, Animal or yes, something like that. Yes, the Beast Spitz. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He he brought him in. Okay. Also, and uh, just so that we could jam, and I could see what Ray's voice sounded like, and. Uh, uh, right off the bat, I knew, okay, I want to work with Ray. And, um, Great and so I talked to Ray afterwards, and, and he said, how about, how about Dave and Eric? And I said, well, I said, if, if nothing else, it just it almost seems like this is Black Sabbath, and I'm taking Tony's place. <laughs> and I was just in Ozzy Osbourne and took Randy's place. So, and I said, uh, it doesn't feel good to me. And he said, okay, no problem. Um, and, and I said, but I do have a bass player in mind and that was Greg. Okay. So, so we agreed to, uh, try Greg out with Eric as Ray and I wrote songs. And, um, after a while it just felt right, it, it, the, you know, and so we became a band because, uh, basically because we were, Ray and I were writing songs and those two were the guys that were, uh, filling in. As we did it. Now, the, the first Badlands album is very much a departure from what you were doing with Ozzy. It still has your signature kind of, I don't know, your rhythm style we've talked about, and, and of course, just your overall guitar playing. But you, you, your guitar tone is a little a little drier. You're, you're kind of going for more of a bluesier rock thing. That's kind of why I thought maybe you just got kind of sick of doing this metal Ozzy kind of music. Um, and, and that's what happened. But uh, the first record, you know, is 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 still kind of a straight up rock record. You really kind of amp up the blues on Voodoo Highway. Yeah, well, blues blues playing was uh, well. It's it's sort of my uh, basic uh, my basic groundwork is is based off of blues playing, and um, if for no other reason than because it's simple. <laughs> and when oh. I first picked up the guitar, it was easier to figure out blues songs um and then it and then it went to blues rock band say like led zeppelin where i could figure out a jimmy page lick because of the uh groundwork that i had figured out in blues and um and and i gotta say though uh that one of the things that made Jimi hendrix my main guitar hero is that he didn't really base his stuff around 
the blues pentatonic. He mm-hmm. and and when he did, it wasn't like everybody else. So his shit was so much harder to figure out. Anyway, where am I going with this? Yeah, the blues Blue uh, highway. Everything goes back to the blues in my mind. I mean, you you can expound on it, you can turn it into jazz, you can turn it into metal, but for me, uh, blues is the foundation for for what I like to do. What happened to Eric Singer between the records? Why didn't he come with? Uh, um, oh, did I touch well, a nerve? <laughs> no, no, I'm okay. just sure in the... Uh, I'm sure in the old days, back when it first happened, I, I might have had a more uh, um, a more politically correct. I I don't know. Uh, Eric wanted a, a to be have an equal share of the songwriting. Okay, is what it boils down to. And you're like, shut and, up, drummer. <laughs> no, <laughs> but but. I mean, it just, it just, uh, and apparently Ray and Eric, when they were in Black Sabbath, had talked about forming a band together and how everything was going to be equally split. Oh, okay. Um, so Eric felt like he had a, uh, a, you know, an agreement with Ray that the band they get into was going to be equally split. However, I wasn't a part of that agreement. Of course. And, uh, and I don't, you know, if you write part of the song, then you get an equal share. For example, um, Greg wrote parts of songs on uh, Voodoo Highway. And it might have been, proportionately, it might have been 5 or 10% of the song. Mm-hmm. But in my mind, if you contributed at all, then you get an equal share. Um, but drum parts don't make songs. I mean, yeah. that's just the way it is. Well, it's actually the uh, fundamental core of publishing and songwriting credit. Yeah, it's it's chord progressions, it's, melody. it's riffs, because riffs would count as melody. Yep. It's melody and it's lyrics. That's the song, because then you can take that and you could do a, a, I don't know, a reggae version of it. You could do a polka version of it. Um that's the song. The drum part is not part of the actual songwriting. Um, anyway, yeah, I'm going on too long about this. Anyway, Eric felt like he deserved an equal part of the songwriting, and Eric and Ray were uh, roommates for the tour. And Ray, every day, Ray would come back to me and say, Eric won't stop. Eric <laughs> just keeps hammering me about it. And... And um, at the end of the first tour, it was Ray's idea to get rid of Eric. Okay. He said, I just, because he said, I just can't take it anymore. Eric wouldn't bring it up to me, but he apparently hammered Ray about it. And uh, Ray said, I just can't take it anymore. We need to fire Eric. And, um, and it was me that had to do it. And I felt really bad because Eric's a great drummer. And, um, and I'm just really glad that he finally became a part of KISS and got his equal part of songwriting. Um, you know, that was sarcasm right there. Right, right, <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> oh, my Lord, I can't believe I missed that. I was I was looking towards, like, uh, moving the, the, to the next thing. Nice dig. 
Uh, <laughs> yeah, he's he's Peter Chris now. Um, uh, it, I, I assume you bought your Kiss farewell tickets, right? <laughs> <laughs> that and the Aussie farewell, because yeah. I'm, sure that, oh I'm sure neither one of them are going to do another tour to make money. I'm positive. <laughs> oh, anyway, uh, when when did you know that uh, Ray? When did you find out that Ray was sick? Um, during uh, actually at the end of uh, the recording of it might have been in the middle of it uh, while we were doing Voodoo Highway. Okay, um, and that uh, that thing was just so ugly. It's uh, the management we had for the first record. Um, we we weren't happy with and it was uh he was also the liaison between us and the record company atlantic records uh so we we all agreed that we wanted to fire management um that's when they came back to me and said you know when ray got sick because he got uh pneumonia mm-hmm. um during the first tour and we actually had to cut the sh- tour short he said when Ray had pneumonia, he had tests run, and he has AIDS. And I said, "Oh, I, I didn't, <clears throat> I didn't know that." And then management said, uh, and I can't remember who they were. I remember their faces. Oh, Paul O'Neill. Okay. He was part of it, and 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 fuck him for this. Um, he he said. If you fire me, I will tell the record company that Ray has AIDS. Wow. And it will ruin your contract. And and I told, you know, I, I went to Ray after that. I said, well, this is what, you know, Paul told me. And Ray said, it's not true. He's making it up. And I said, okay. All right, then. Fuck him. We're firing him, right? And he said, oh, yeah. So we did, um, and then at the end of the record, uh, you know, we were getting new management, and uh, the record company told us that uh, Paul O'Neill had told him that Ray had AIDS, and that if we got any tour support, we that they would be contributing to Ray's ill health, because, you know, going on tour is not exactly... Right. Um, <laughs> It's not uh, that healthy. It, it pushes you. It fatigues you. Right. And um, and because of that, the record company said we we're not going to give you any tour support, hmm. which made touring very difficult. But uh, we were bullheaded, and we said, "Fuck you! We're going to tour anyway." So we we rented um, two cars and a truck, and we would take turns driving. Uh, my car was uh, had me and Greg in it, and we would take turns driving and sleeping in the back seat, and and foregoing hotels and all that shit. It was it was really rough, um, you know. And so we did it that way, and we toured anyway as a big middle finger to the record company. Um, but and then during that during that um, tour, I remember we were pulled over at one point for um, speeding, <laughs> believe it or not. Yeah. We were pulled over, and they had us open the trunks up, and they started going through the bags, and they went through Ray's bag, and there was a lot of medicine, the kind the kind that you would take if you had 
you know, AIDS, yeah. um, in the bag. And Ray, you know, everybody in the band was kind of like, oh, what's up? And Ray said, no, it was for his uncle. His uncle did have AIDS. Okay. Uh, we knew about that. And he said, no, this is for his uncle. He got it from somewhere, and he's transporting it to his uncle, which, you know, that's not really a, a believable excuse. But uh, uh, I think at that point, everybody knew, okay. And he was looking, you know, frailer also. Okay. So it was during that tour that I knew for sure um, he was sick. Uh, I mean, that's a pretty rough story. I mean, you, do you kind of forgive him for not being totally honest with that, considering the climate at the time and and, and the prognosis yeah. he was no, facing? I mean, the, I yeah, absolutely. I uh, I at, I think it was the the drummer, it was Jeff, who who was rooming with him at that time. Uh, well, not rooming with him, but sharing a car with him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for the drives. And Jeff came up to me and, and he said, I don't want to be with him anymore. Um, he's sick. Who knows how you can get it? Maybe you can get it by coughing. <laughs> you know, and, and I, I said, quit being an idiot. What, what's wrong with you? And, and I had to argue with him for a while. And, and after that, Ray came up and he said, thank you. Because the other guys in the band, I guess, asked him, do you have AIDS? I never asked him that. To me, it was his business. And Ray did come up afterwards and say, thank you for not even asking me, and thank you for having my back. And I said, I'll, I always will. And, uh, but it just, uh, God, everything just got so weird and, and ugly after that. I, uh, not my best memories. Yeah, I, un- but, yeah un- understandably. But, but to answer your question, yeah, I, I totally did. I forgave him for that, because... It's his business. It's not anybody else's business. And and at that time... Yeah, it was a much uh, different climate. Out. You know, The, the prognosis yeah, was, was much worse. Yeah, you, you're, you're homosexual. Yeah. You know, you're a homosexual or at, the, at best, uh, you're an intravenous drug user. Yeah. You know, it's, it was one of those two things. And, um, and yeah, there was, uh, you didn't want to have to say you had it if you had it. And I totally understand why you wouldn't. And and on that same track there, I will say I think he did get it um, through a needle. Uh, okay. When we first got Badlands together and we were talking about working together and, you know, you want to figure out if you're going to be compatible and, and drug use came up. And, uh, and neither one of us really did drugs. And, and I said, and I've never shot up because I don't like needles and he said he told me he did one time and that was with his uncle because growing up his uncle his uncle was gay but he was and he was a biker so he kind (laughs) of had that macho tough thing he rode a harley and and ray really admired him and uh he said he wanted to try heroin one time he did it with his uncle and you know Looking back on all that, I think because his uncle did have AIDS, he was, you know, uh, I think that's where he got it. Okay. 
Um, well, right. speculation aside, let's get on a more positive note. Let's put it that way. Any chance we'll see yeah, see a nice deluxe? Yeah, it, any chance we'll see some nice deluxe reissues that are so popular nowadays of those two records? I, you know, I don't know what's up with that. I, uh, I just talked to my publishing agent the other day, and I, I asked him to look into it because I don't know what the story is on that. I know that. Uh, it, it's not available, hasn't been available for a long time, and um, I don't know exactly why Atlantic would be that way. Um, cause, but in a weird way, they've become really almost underground, iconic, legendary albums because you can't get them anymore. Yeah. It's a, <laughs> so, um, but it's a shame that you can't get it. I mean, I don't... Well, I have copies of it, but... On my iPhone, I can't download it if I wanted to listen to a Badlands song. (laughs) Or for fuck's sake, if I'm on the road and I decide, let's do this Badlands song, I don't have anything to learn off of. Um, And (laughs) I do think it's a shame, uh, because we did some really great work back then, and it'd be nice if it was out there.
I'm looking into it. I'm sure a lot of people would love to see it, you know, on all the all the streaming platforms, because that seems to be the way things are going. So, but uh, let's talk Red Dragon Cartel. Um, you came back with a just a a, a great record. Was it 2014? The first one came out. Is that right? Yep. Yep. Um, was there a falling out with you and Mark that I recall? I know you had like uh, some uh, problems with Darren uh, briefly. I don't. I can't remember if it was like he had, he was stuck in Canada or something. You had a lot of singers kind of fill in for a bit, but Mark seemed to be very instrumental in. Uh, and that's right, Mark Mancuso is that the name? Um, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I was wondering who the hell Mark was. Am I? Do uh, I have his name wrong? <laughs> I mean, I. I you do, you do. Okay, well, it, uh, anyway, the the bass player uh, on your first yeah. record. Let's let's just call him that guy. Okay, that guy. I know he was instrumental in putting the thing together. I remember watching some of the videos when you you, you know because again you know I'm a bit of a, a, a super fan. I, I absorb everything Jakey e. Lee. I was checking all these videos out and like these little things you're talking about the album that was going to be coming out. Um, but I recall somewhere along the line there there seemed to be a pretty hard falling out, and you actually brought in uh, Greg from Badlands to take over it at one point. Uh, yeah, I, there was. A definite falling out. Can we talk um, about it or not? <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, I haven't, and I, I kind of, um, I had a huge falling out with. Um, and and right off the bat, I gotta say, he takes a lot more credit than he deserves for 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 everything, and that's just the kind of guy he is. I I wouldn't um, contradict him during interviews and shit, but but yeah, he. I mean, making the uh, Red Dragon Cartel record, the first one, mm-hmm. it wasn't through any desire of mine to finally get to work with Ron Mancuso. Ron! I was calling him Mark. Okay. Yeah. Uh, that wasn't, like, one of my big goals in life. And uh, <laughs> I, I, did the, I did the first record because Kevin Churko was producing. Okay. Uh, Kevin's the one who convinced me to go ahead and try to make a record. Yeah. Uh, it, it wasn't the other guy. Um, but he took credit for that. Uh, he even took credit for writing uh, part of a rock and roll rebel. I remember that. And in public, I never contradicted him. But uh, I had never met the motherfucker until I was in Badlands. I was going to say, I remember you're talking about him. the Aussie song, right? Yeah. Jesus yeah. Christ. All he, right. He at some point said that he he had helped write it, and like I said, I didn't contradict him. I I thought he was a friend at the time, and I didn't want to embarrass him. But the first time I met him was in 1988 um, at uh, Limelight in New York. I remember it clearly. Um, So how did he help write a fucking Aussie song? I have no idea. Anyway, he takes a lot of credit where he has none, and and you know that was uh, that's that's part of the uh, part of the falling out uh, okay. also he he wanted to be the bass player in the band um he's and he's he's a horrible bass player he can't play <laughs> bass uh the reason i could I he did could he it, play bass for poison <laughs> well maybe no he could play <laughs> I tell you what, he could play bass in tough. Okay. Oh, um, oh, I know. I'm. Oh, I'm going to get such a a bad reputation. You want to talk about Ingve uh, again? <laughs> I know. No, no. Anyway. And, and and what what website is it that uh, that 
Tough Singer has. It's, oh, uh, Metal Sludge. Yeah. Oh, he, I'm going to be so fucking banged up over this on Metal Sludge. <laughs> anyway, anyway, going back, he, he's a terrible bass player. And, but because I thought we were friends, uh, at one point he, he, he said, please let me, let me be the bass player. I can play bass. I, I'm sitting here. He, he manages um, a restaurant here in Las Vegas oh, okay. that his mother owns. Uh, and uh, he said, please let me play bass. I've been sitting behind this desk managing a restaurant for years. I never got to really go out on the road and do a tour. This would be a lifelong dream of mine. Please, I beg of you, let me play bass. And so I, I, I said, yes, of course. Of course you can. You're my friend. I want you to be happy. Um, but then we went on the road, and he was, he was just god-awful. I mean, and, um, and, and that's where things really started to deteriorate. Okay. Um, um, there was that. There was... Uh, and um, and um, he was also tour managing because he said he could. He'd never done it before. And there again, it was just a mess. It was a mess. And, and let me see if I should actually say this. Yes. Oh, fuck it. Fuck it. I just say it like it is. Uh, we finished the European tour. And uh, for the European tour, we had a real tour manager. His name's John Brown. Uh, at the end of the tour, we're going home. Ron decides he wants to spend a couple extra days in Amsterdam, you know, because that's a fun city to spend a couple extra days. Uh, John Brown told me he gave him uh, a certain amount of cash, a, a decent amount of money to take back. Uh, when Ron came back, he said he didn't have any money. Ooh. Then when I pressed him about it, he said he did. He got a little bit of money, but nothing like what John Brown says he gave him, and that uh, he put it in his bank account so it was safe. <laughs> we had a business relationship, right? Mm -hmm. We had a band bank account. Ron did not put the money in the band bank account. He says I, he put it in his own, so he knew it would be safe. Safe from me? I it it made yeah. no sense and. Yeah. And um, he's, and, so, he's a, and, and real quick, so people understand, when a band goes on tour, typically you basically run on a budget the entire tour, and everything that's left over from other, the money that's left over, aside from like the per diems and the cost of just getting from, from venue to venue, is just then at the end of the tour, right? Yes. Okay. Yes, that's where, that's where your profit That's the is. money, yeah, okay. Yes. Yeah. So I saw no profit from the European tour, and uh, I was not grateful that Ron decided to put the money in his account to keep it safe. Uh, it was just wrong. It was wrong on every level, and I, it was a huge betrayal, I think. Sure. And, um, yeah, I have nothing good to say about that guy. And this is the last time I'll talk about him, because I don't want to waste my breath on him anymore. Um, we can call him Mark I, going I, forward. <laughs> Mark, I, I'd want nothing to do with him. Uh, he's an extremely dishonest person, and uh, I felt very betrayed by him. And um, 
And I will say, and like I said, I'm not going to talk about them. You have the exclusive here. Right um, I will, uh, uh, although Eddie Trunk might be able to pull it out of me. I don't know. Um, I can really we'll use see. the scoop. <laughs> you got the scoop. You know what? You've got the scoop. I guarantee you. I will not, because I, I don't want to talk about them again. Uh, but I needed to get it off my chest. Yeah, and so you valid. have it. Um, and the last thing I will say about him is that Two of the songs on the new, which we haven't talked about yet. New no, we're, that's, we're, we're almost there, Jake. <laughs> okay. On Patina, two of the songs uh, lyrically were inspired by him. And the first one is Crooked Man. And the second one was Punch Clown, because that might be what happens if I ever see him again. Oh, boy. Uh, shots fired. Uh uh, real quick, I had a, a thing on the side that I wanted to ask you about, and then we'll go into Patina. Did did you get approached by Rat at all recently to join them after they got rid of basically everybody? Nope. Okay. <laughs> nope. nope. The only time I heard about it was when uh, Blotzer said it in an interview. Oh, and, I was uh, just curious because, you know, you have a history there, and I'm like, well, if you're going to get rid of Martini, who are you going to bring in? I'm like, well, it would it might spike my interest if you had Jake, but uh, anyway, that was the only reason I asked. Uh, on to Patina. Uh, it came out November 9th on, on Frontier Records. It's pretty much available everywhere. Uh, I am waiting for my precious orange vinyl to arrive later this month. Uh, me too. This <laughs> album has really been a grower for me. Um, uh, you you kind of seem to have veered back towards what you were doing in Badlands, uh, at least compared to the, f the the first Red Dragon records. I'm really digging Speedbag. I like the luxury of breathing, chasing ghosts, ink and water. Those would be the the initial standout tracks to me. You know, um, what what, what do you want to tell me about this record? It sounds a lot more cohesive than the than the last one. Did you guys actually record this like a band? Uh, you know, going to a studio for a few days a week or whatever. Yeah, no, um, yes, it was done more uh, as a band, and uh, and no, it wasn't a couple of weeks, or a couple of days a week, it was <laughs> sure. every day, it was every day of every week of the whole time it took. Um, kind of old school, it was, Yeah, it was done at um, Anthony's uh, studio, which is a ranch in uh, Dillsburg, Pennsylvania, Um Shout out to Dillsburg. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Dillsburg! <but> it, <laughs> it's, it's in the middle of nowhere, really. And uh, he has a, a like a two-story house on uh, as part of the ranch and a studio, a separate studio. So we were able to uh, live in the house and then walk across uh, the horse field to the studio any time we wanted to because it was in the middle of nowhere. So if we... Well, mostly if I decided we were going to do something at two in the morning, uh, we could. And and now you're yeah. Ozzy knocking on someone's door. Let's go! It's Jake. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah, it harkens back to that. Although yeah, I was no. a little more um, probably probably you know, not as wasted. <laughs> yeah, I was more more coherent. Uh, but uh, yeah, it was it was from the beginning. I knew I wanted. I wanted to do it uh, the way I'd always done it before. The first Red Dragon Cartel album was done very, um, very piecemeal, very bit by bit, where I don't think there was ever any two musicians that played on any song 
that we're in the same room together. Oh, um, okay, kind of like the modern way of doing things, sending tracks. The to modern each other. way, the, the Kevin Chirko way, you know. Okay. And and it was interesting for me to do it that way. Uh, I was willing to give it a shot. Um, well, for example, I've never met Paul Diano, and and he sang on my fucking record. <laughs> it's just weird, you know. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah. And and I think the first record is a good record. I I, I love stand it. by it, but it is somewhat disjointed sounding. I mean, it sounds like what it is. It's a record that was put together yeah. with different musicians, different singers, and it sounds like that because that's what it is. This record sounds much more like a band effort because it was done that way. We. When when we wrote the songs, when you know, I, I would come up with the music, I'd come up with the riffs, but then I had the band there in the room with me um, to work on it. So it didn't end up just being here's the verse part, here's the chorus part, play to it. Then we could work on it and and as a as a band say, oh, this song needs to go here now. We need to change this. And, and we'd be able to work it out so it sounded more like a, a song and sounded more like a, a band. And it was. We worked on the songs together, and then we recorded it while we were all playing. Um, you know, I don't know how familiar people are with the recording process, but when you, the first thing you want to put down is the drums. And if, doing it Kevin Churko style, which I... And, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. it. It comes up with amazing sounds. Yeah, he'll he'll do. Um, and I don't want to give his secrets away. I'm sure I'm not. <laughs> he'll have the drummer go in and just play the bass drum and the snare. Oh yeah, actually, what's his name? Uh, the guy who uh, Mutt Lang did that with Def Leppard. Yeah, well, Kevin was uh, an engineer or a student of Mutt Lang. Oh, there we go. So yeah, you'll just do the kick and the snare, and then you'll go back and you'll put in the fills with the, uh, the toms, and then you'll go back and you'll do all the brass, the cymbals, separately. And um, It allows you to and, isolate each little drum part yeah. and, and, and mix and it, it a little more, a little more control mixing. Yeah, yeah, and you can, get, you can make it sound fantastic because yeah. you have all that control over it. Uh, that's that's the modern way of doing it. The way we did it was a uh, very old school, where you mic the drums up. It's one take. Uh, well, it's not one take, but you do it take by sure. take, and the rest of the band is playing with the drummer. We're not necessarily being recorded. Uh, well, we are being recorded, but those aren't. Um, <clears throat> the yeah, like track. it's like a, yeah, it's a scratch track, and then you go back, and the bass yeah. will be re- replayed along with it's the drum a track. track. The, exactly, yeah. but we're playing as a band. The yeah. drummer's playing as we're playing with them, and it, I think it gives it more of a live feel to it. Um, so you know, we recorded, we wrote, and recorded it as a band, and I, I do feel like the new record really sounds like that it's it's much more as you said cohesive it's more organic it's um it 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 doesn't it's not disjointed in any way it's uh, you can listen to it from front to back and it does sound like you know theoretically or or imagined that 
we went into a studio and recorded the whole album in one night. Yeah. It, uh, it feels know, like it, an album. Yeah, yeah, and I'm I'm very proud of it. I think this album is as good, or at least it stands up with the best stuff that I've done in my career. Your playing is out of the world on this. You are seriously on top of your game right now. Uh, so I'll give you that compliment. The record does grow the more I listen to it. Each time I like it a little bit more, and you know, it's just I love that 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 feeling. You know, like when you you listen to it because then your your favorite track will move from one song to another song, and suddenly that'll be the one you look forward to. It's 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 a very fun experience. Well done. Yeah, I and it's not it it I. Do think it comes across that way, and uh, I've uh, people online that have commented that you know they listen to it and they're not that thrilled with all of it. Uh, I, it's it's a different world today. Yes. Back when I was uh, growing up, I could afford one album a month. Yeah, me too. Uh, you know, I'd save up my allowance and I could afford one album a month, and that album I would listen, you know, daily several times a day yeah. for the next month and and a lot most of my favorite albums are albums that I didn't like that much initially um, but after I listened to it repeatedly it grew to become my favorite album um, and I, I think that the, the patina is like that I, I, I would hope that people would give it several listens before making a, a, a judgment call on it, um, there are songs that are immediately accessible. You know, Speed Havana. Bag. Havana, I think bitter. Yeah. Um, those you can listen to, and that is the song that you're getting exactly um, what you think you're getting initially. It's a, it's like a, a, a McDonald's hamburger. You know, sometimes <laughs> you just really want a McDonald's hamburger and a Coke and fries. Nothing can beat that sometimes. Sure. But, but I don't want a whole album like that. I. Yeah. Um, and I do feel like some of these songs, if given the chance, will prove to be the favorites of people who, who do give it that chance to listen to it. And uh, I didn't mean for it to be that way in the beginning, but I think that's what it ended up being. And, um, and I'm glad about that. Because, um, like I said, some of my favorite albums didn't, strike me as being all that great in the beginning but uh and i don't know if we'll 
even get that chance, really, though, because it, it's a it's a brand new world. It's, sure. it's so today is so uh, instant gratification. You know, like I want to hear something. Yeah, I like that. Okay, cool. <laughs> and if you don't like it, it's easily dispensable. I mean. You know, if you don't like something, then you can go on to the next thing. Yeah, it does uh, suck. Especially today, you know. Uh, and and I think a lot of great music might be getting lost because of that. And, and I don't know Absolutely if there's Absolutely it is. I mean, the fact that we're not investing in art uh, the way we used to, from, a, from any level... The, the fact yeah. you, you talk about that kind of piecemeal recording, well, you're going to miss out. There's no way you can do the best you can as a group if you never really vibe off each other in the same room. You can do a good record and a good song, but you can never really get that like organic moment where it's like, hey, wait a second, try try fucking changing that. You know, it's like, no, here it is. You have to do it the way it is, and then email it back to me. And so. I'll, I'll, I'm sorry. I I, pro- I kind of went on a tangent there. You're absolutely 100% correct. No, no, and, and I agree. And and you don't get any mistakes if you record that way, the modern way. Uh, let alone, uh, you know, mistakes are some of the best things in my mind that happen in music. Uh, you know, something you weren't expecting, something you didn't mean to do, and that it ends up being the coolest sure. part of the song or the coolest part of the performance. You're, you're missing all of that. And, and uh, yeah, I, I was going to go somewhere with that. Um, oh, well, Havana. The, it's weird because the second solo in Havana, people are, um, uh, they like that one. They said, oh, the second solo is great. of it is because of the one note i think it's a flatted fifth but it comes out of a weird um uh run of notes before it mm-hmm. and people are like pointing to that that note in there that was a mistake that was that was me <laughs> in the studio uh and i i always record the solos in the room with my amps and shit so you can get going back to the uh uh not being so controlled when you I, I love the weird feedback I love how I'll hit a note and because of where I'm standing uh, 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 against the amp it'll feed back in a way I wasn't predicting I love I love those little magical moments but that one note in the second solo of Havana is not the note I was shooting for <laughs> it was it was a mistake and because I grew up uh, in a very jazz environment. Uh, it's not a mistake if you do it twice. So I did that yeah. twice. 
in the solo. And I remember after I recorded, I came back into the uh, control room where uh, Tyler, Anthony's son, uh, he was he did the engineering, and I came back in there, and I said, "Was that weird?" And he says, "It was wonderfully weird." Nice. <laughs> so, yeah, the mistakes, the the things that the magic that happens that you're not planning on, that's so much a part of the art of music, and it's getting on it's getting a little lost and auto tune is one of the big culprits as far oh, as Oh, for sure. You know, we didn't do any of that on Fatina. There's no auto-tuning. There's no, uh, uh, what's it, beat detective. Uh, there's nothing that's <laughs> fixed. Either you play it right or yeah. you go back and do it again or you change a part. You know, it's it's all very honest on Fatina. And, and auto-tune in particular, I... I Oh, I hate it. I don't. I don't see where any good has come from that. In fact, on the first Red Dragon Cartel record, um, I was listening back. Uh, I was there when Sass sang um, "Redeem Me." Yep. And and I was just thrilled. I was like, "Fuck, she nailed it. This is awesome." I came back the next day, and the man who shall remain nameless uh, was playing the song, <laughs> and I'm listening to it, and I said what the fuck happened to the vocal? I said, what do you mean? I said, it's not, it, it, it doesn't sound right. And he said, well, I'm just fixing it with auto-tune. Ugh. And I said, well, you're fucking ruining it. Cause, and I didn't know he was auto-tuning it. All I knew is all of a sudden what was an inspired and soulful performance became bland and, and it's, it's, I know exactly what you're saying. I'm a big fan of using that term when I like something that it sounds inspired. Yeah. And you and you know, there's nothing wrong with being flat if that's a part of your performance. If it's a flat no, if you're shooting for a note and you hit it a little flat and then you slowly bring it up yeah. to the right pitch, that that my friend is soul. That's blue. That's that's fucking passion and music. That's part of the art of singing is, is being flat, maybe being sharp and then bringing it back to where it belongs. That, that is part of the art of singing. And then when you auto tune it, you ruin it, you yeah. ruin it. So I, I had him bring it back to the original vocals that Sass did. And it sounded so much better. And, um, yeah, Fuck auto-tune. That's what I'm basically saying. Right on. Um, <laughs> you, you have Phil Verone in the in the band. Uh, I'm curious, have you seen the documentary they made on him? No, I'm afraid to. <laughs> <laughs> I have. It's very well done. Is it? Yeah. Is, am I, am I going to want to be on a bus with him after I watch it? Yeah, you'll probably be okay. I mean, maybe not if you watch some of his other movies. <laughs> oh, I've heard about those, too. That's the last thing I want to know about him. Yeah. <laughs> We're getting a little blue here. Uh, does, doesn't he have, like, a, like a, a, a lady's pleasure thing based on his own manhood? I have heard such things, yes. <laughs> well, Christmas is coming up. Do you think you'll find one in your stocking? <laughs> oh... God, I hope not. Um, I, no, I haven't read his book. I haven't seen the documentary. I haven't watched any of his porn. I'm trying to pretend like 
that he's he a never good drummer. did any of that. Yeah. He's a good drummer. Yeah. I know that much, and <laughs> and I haven't spent a lot of time with him. But the time I have spent with him, I like him. He's a fun guy, mm. um, and I'm I'm just going to try to. Uh, Close my eyes to all that other I, stuff. You're safe with the documentary. I think it's a it's a good watch. It, it's nothing like, uh, well, the second half of what we just talked about. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. maybe I'll maybe I'll watch it. Yeah. I don't know I got a lot of shit on Netflix that's mm-hmm. waiting for me to watch. So I kind of doubt if I'll watch the uh, Phil Verone documentary. Well, fair enough. Uh, Red Red Cartel tour dates were announced recently. Um, hopefully, there's more to come because right now there's nothing coming through my neck of the woods. Uh, do, do do you plan on? I know it's it's pretty pretty solid stretch you're doing though, about two months, right? Um, I think well, I think it's more like five weeks, uh, isn't it? Is it the end well, of February into the beginning of April or something? Yeah. Okay. My wife says six weeks. Okay. Um, I think it's a six week uh, U.S. run. Uh, then we, <clears throat> then we go to Japan. We had actually booked Japan first. Um, so we did a, a, a U.S. run leading up to it. Um, I've seen online that a lot of people are pissed off that we've completely missed the, uh, Northwest and the Southeast. But, uh, I think, well, that's just the way touring goes. We yeah. were, I think, well, you know, that's basically a swath from, L.A. up into Maine, and um, I'm sure that uh, after we do Japan, and we're trying to book Europe after that so that we don't have to fly back to all yeah. the way to the U.S. and then go back to Europe. We're trying to do Europe after that, uh, but after that, I, after that, oh, come on, quit saying after that. <laughs> after that. Then, then we will, I assume, probably do another uh probably crisscross the United States where we do hit Florida and uh, do Seattle and Portland and and if we have to, parts of Canada. <laughs> you have to. And the more, I thought you were going to say Minnesota. That's where I'm at. I was like, uh, and if I have to, I'll... Uh, anyway. <sighs> Minnesota. Oh. Yeah, you play here uh, in February. Oh, <laughs> uh, Minnesota in February. <laughs> No. What's it like there in the summer? Is it? Oh, I, okay. honest to God, the, the summers are amazing. Uh, yeah? I, yeah, the winters suck. Uh, but, uh, yeah, the summers are, are definitely the peak time of year to, to be a Minnesotan, don't you know? Yeah. I, well, I believe that. And I, I'm sure it's 20 times better than summer in Las Vegas, where I live. Oh, boy. Yeah, I, I, I've only been in, in Vegas on summer once, and it was last summer, and my Lord, the one day I was there, I was there for a friend's wedding, in and out. It was just, you did not want to step outside. It's brutal. It's brutal for months. I mean, And the summer seemed to be getting longer and longer. But, yeah, I mean, I remember they called it the century days of where you yeah. have over 100 days of over 100 degrees. <laughs> and it's not like it cools off a lot at night either. Yeah. It's, uh, it can be brutal, but I think it, uh, it makes you more manly. All right. Well, they, they, we think that about the cold in the winter here. So I, I was thinking that's probably even yeah. more manly. So. Uh, well, I, well, they both suck. Let's just agree on that. Uh, uh, <laughs> hey, uh, do, I, when you when you tour, do you like mix up the set list? Do you kind of change it as you go, or do you kind of ride with one thing for a stretch? A little, a little of both. Okay. Uh, especially in the beginning of a tour, you want to you want to ride out a set list and get comfortable with it. Um, then you can. Sp- 
sort of gauge how it's working because you want it to be, um, you know, you want to start out with a bang and then you need it to slow down a little towards the middle and then you want to end up on a bang too. So it's, 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 it's an art to try to come up with a set list that works. Mm -hmm. And, um, and like I said, in the beginning, you're, you're trying things out, trying to find the right one. Eventually you'll find one that works great. Yeah. And, You'll stick with that for a while, but then I get bored. You know, I don't want to do the same thing every night. Uh, my plan uh, on this coming tour is uh, we'll we'll throw in some uh, some Badlands. I'm I'm asking the band to learn at least half a dozen Badlands songs, and then we can sprinkle in different ones uh, on the night. Is there no, any chance Silver Horses is, is one of them? Huh. I hadn't thought of that. Okay. Um, well, that'd be a no. I would. That that. Well, you know, I, I as a you know, the, the, the more diehard fans, we dig deep into the catalog. But my lord, I would probably be erect for a week if I saw you play Silver Horses. I don't. I don't know if that makes me want to do it more or less. <laughs> um. <laughs> That's my job. Make people uncomfortable. Um. <laughs> But no, I, I you know what I I will I'll consider that I'll um, try to find an old record and, or tape and listen to it since I can't iTunes it. Um, but you want no, me to send I, you my think, CDs? <laughs> <laughs> but Three Day Funk is a is oh, a forerunner right on right now, and uh, I'm I'm trying to think of which songs Darren will sound really good on, although. So far, he sounds pretty good on the uh, on the Badlands tunes. He seems to have uh, kind of grown a little bit as a singer, too, from the first record. Yeah. Well, you know, on the first record, because of uh, the production, he was, and I didn't know this until after, because I don't, I'm not in the studio usually. Yeah. I was with Sass Jordan because she's special, but sure. I'm not usually in the studio when the vocals are happening because it drives me crazy listening to somebody sing a song over and over and over and over. Um, I'll just listen to it at the end of the day. I'll listen to the uh, uh, yeah. takes that were done. Um, and it did strike me when we started touring. I, I, it struck me as he, his, his natural voice is not the voice that's on the first Red Dragon Cartel. And when you I asked tell. him about it, he, he, he told me that he was, he was pushed to scream more. Um, for the first record, he was uh, to make it—I don't know—maybe more modern rock sounding. Yeah. I don't know what the reasoning was, but yeah, his natural voice is not exactly what is on the first Red Dragon Cartel record, and you can tell he's pushing it on that. And he's—I think he sounds a hundred times better on the new record. Um, what was the original? Oh, it was about Badlands. I think he does Badlands really well. Cool. Um, Anybody who gave him a chance on the last tour, which there wasn't that many people that were doing that for him after after the infamous whiskey show. Sure, um, and yeah, the Metal Sludge got on your ass for that too. Yeah, like the guy couldn't have one bad show. Yeah, <laughs> well, it had to be the first one. Yeah, of course. But, um, <laughs> but he uh, he sang in a dream, uh, which is a pure Ray song. And he did really good on it. And, uh, yeah, I felt like a lot of people just uh, didn't give him a second chance. And and hopefully with this record they will, because he, he really is a fantastic singer. And um, 
And now, anyway, back to the, the, the set list. Yeah, we're going to be doing Badlands songs. I'm, I'm hoping to, like, change those up and, and on the night that we play, just off the cuff, uh, let's do this Badlands song. Yeah, okay. Um, that, I'm not planning on doing any more Aussie songs live. Really? Yeah. That's a shocker. Well, You got enough material, help. I think people will be okay with it, but boy... Uh, Bar- I'll tell you this, uh, Bark at the Moon is one of those like songs that I've heard just a shit ton of my life that I don't get sick of. Just that, that opening riff and the way you play that. And that guitar solo. On the first tour, we had to mm-hmm. dig deep because... You were kind of reestablishing Jakey e. Lee being back on planet Earth almost. And and just the the fact that there were so many different singers, two of them being women, on the first record, and the, the production style being able to recreate that uh, live, we could only do maybe half half the record live okay so i had to come up with uh, a back catalog to fill up the rest of the set and i hadn't played ozzy in you know 30 years so it was kind of fun at first but it, to be honest after a while it just it it it, it didn't feel right it, it the songs even though i was the guitar player and the writer of the songs it felt um it just didn't. It, they're Aussie songs. They belong to Aussie, and I'm not Aussie. Um, and it never, after the initial, uh, uh, you know, having uh, initially having fun playing these old songs that I hadn't played, it felt dishonest. It it, it didn't feel right to me, and I. That's why I'm not going to do them anymore. Um, and and I would, you know, if it's with Aussie, if Aussie, if Aussie shows up. In one of the clubs I'm playing in, and he, and he wants <laughs> to sing Bark Moon, I will be the first one to greet him on stage. What if Put he knocks back. on your do- hotel room at 3 in the morning and says, Jake, let's <laughs> let's play some tunes. you going to do it then? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes, I will. Ozzy, you I have will. your invitation. <laughs> Jake, I... I gotta let you go at some point here. I I, I kid you not. Uh, you were one of my idols growing up. This is a huge thrill for me. Uh, I'm glad you were so sharing and 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 just really interesting to talk to. I really appreciate it. I know the people listening to this are gonna love it. Good luck with the album. I I I think people are gonna like it. The more they listen to it, the more they're they're gonna get into it. That's been my experience so far, and I've only had about a week to dig into it. And definitely good luck with the tour. If you come through Minnesota, you're, you're probably gonna run into me. Well, I hope so. If you know, we're 
going to be in Minnesota. Yeah, <laughs> hopefully in the summertime. Not <laughs> one of the worst questions anybody can ask a, a band or a musician is, "Are you coming to my town?" When look, especially in this day of the internet, when it happens, you'll find out. The bands typically don't have a whole lot of control over that. People, so uh, leave them alone. Yeah. No, that that is true, and I've been reading online like. Uh, why do you hate this town so much? Or, <laughs> you know, it's it's not up to the band. And booking, booking is a hard thing to do. You got to line up the dots. It's got to be on a night where nobody else is playing, and 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 you have to get a not to be hungry for money, but you have to make enough sure, to yeah. where you can at least break even on the road. If if you're not getting offered enough money and somebody else is offering you more, you have to take the more money because it's it's real, especially in this day and age. Yeah, uh, it's hard to uh, hard to make money on the road enough to break even at least. You know. Well, fortunately, I think your target audience is glad to have uh, people they grew up with still making music, and I, I do think uh, your record will do pretty good because of that. Yeah, it'll do what it does, but yeah. I just I just hope people. Give it a chance. Give it a listen. Give it several listens so it can sink in, you know? Thank you for coming on the program. You've been a wonderful guest. Uh, all the best with everything. Any last words? Um, no. <laughs> right on. I can't, I, I can't think of anything. We talked about a lot of shit. Yeah, no, you pretty much covered it all. Uh, I... <laughs> I'm sorry I kept you so long, but boy, I uh, I probably only tapped a little bit of what I really wanted to talk about. I'm just uh, I've followed your entire career, but again, thank you so much, and uh, thanks to your wife for being so uh, pleasant to me while you were uh, relieving yourself. <laughs> well, no, she's she's a wonderful wife. Did I say that loud enough so she could hear? I think so. <laughs> yes, I did. She's laughing. Great. All right. Um, no, but th- no, thank you, Baco. All right, you have a good evening.
What is it? It's a baco, like with a B. Like rhymes baco? with Yeah, baco rhymes with taco. Yeah, baco. Okay. <laughs> yeah, but is that Spanish? You sound Spanish. Uh no, I'm uh, about as white as you can get. I'm Scandinavian. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's pretty white. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.